0: Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, a podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and Founders Forum. This week I had the pleasure of speaking to the founder of Menotech startup Powder, Rebecca Brown. Rebecca shares her personal motivations for starting Powder and what it was like starting and growing a business through a pandemic. She explains the challenge of launching a femtech startup in a male-dominated investor market and the importance of driving conversations about the menopause, a stigmatized subject that remains a taboo even today. Rebecca is a true pioneer in this space, helping to dispel myths around the menopause and has successfully created a safe space for women to talk about their experiences and demand products that are suitable and relevant today. Even if you haven't experienced menopause yourself, it's a fascinating lesson to learn about communities, funding, and untapped markets. So tune in. So I'm delighted to have with us today Rebecca Brown, founder of Powder. Rebecca has been making her mark on the UK wellness scene, having founded a new menotech startup through lockdown mpowder is the world's first plant-based supplement powder range crafted to target the three distinct biochemical stages of the menopause after gaining a degree in drama in english at bristol university and rising through the ranks across multiple creative agencies and planning consultancies rebecca founded mpowder just under two years ago like most businesses rebecca's motivation for starting mpowder was born out of personal experience through a pain point of not being able to find the right brands or anything empowering to support women through menopause. With 13 million women going through menopause in the UK and 75% of those women who seek medical attention being left untreated, Femtech is really starting to help close the gender health gap. Rebecca herself is a key driver in demanding better solutions and products to meet women's needs and destigmatizing something that impacts so many. So I'm really excited to chat to her today about a range of things, from investment, taboo, and communities, and wherever else the conversation takes us. So, hi Rebecca, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me and for that introduction. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, I'd like to kind of jump in and just ask, how have you been during lockdown?
1: I have been fine. I mean, as you mentioned in the um, the preamble to this conversation, we launched our business in lockdown, so it's been fascinating period to be engaging with women in midlife. We know from from research that menopause symptoms specifically are exacerbated through anxiety and stress. So sort of starting powder at that point when our worlds were sort of thrown upside down and, and everything changed has 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 been really really helpful i think it fast tracked in in many ways the sense of community and support and cohesion of the women going through trials with us at that time and it also gave me a focus so i don't think anyone can say that that, that the last sort of 16 months has been easy but i think for me having the focus of supporting those women starting our business you know listening hard learning from feedback actually was a really welcome distraction because that was a new normal for me anyway you know the business itself was a new normal and the world around me was changing so I think it's almost harder if if um, I'd been asked to continue the, the role I'd had previously from home but I, I had the opportunity almost to make a new a new normal with mpowder
0: yeah I feel like you've obviously had quite a different experience to most starting a business during the pandemic have you has that just kept you busy the whole time and are you someone who you think has distracted themselves with work during lockdown Totally. I mean, the, the
1: blurring of boundaries, I think, for all of us has been quite extreme. And again, talking to women in our community, I think women particularly, again, sort of statistically have been sort of picking up more of the, the, the impact around um, the pandemic, whether that's homeschooling. You know, trying to provide remote support to to ageing parents, rethinking the way that you work, we were thinking the way the home works. You know, with different people in it in, in times that you never had to have them in it before. So I think, you know, women particularly during the pandemic have had to really lean into the resilience that we all carry within us. Um, and for me. Work was the distraction. I don't think it's always healthy to be working as much as most of us has, have been. Yeah. But for me, it, it was, a, it was a, an opportunity for me to, I guess, as I say, sort of almost create a new normal because I hadn't, I hadn't been doing this prior to the lockdown beginning. So in a weird way, I was able to work out how I wanted things to run and we were able to pivot really quickly. So I don't think I'd ever recommend anyone starting a business in a global pandemic. Um, but the fact that we started rather than having to change w- was quite useful.
0: Yeah, embracing chains from every angle, basically. Definitely Absolutely. normal for you. Um, and can we touch upon what it's been like leading a business through a pandemic and working with kind of your team members and investors in a virtual setting? Have you seen any upside to this or are you just dying to get back into the office?
1: <laughs> I think, uh, you know, a bit like the community, we fast-tracked as a team, you know, our relationships. So there's a bizarre intimacy to sort of, beaming into people's homes and and home lives and I think in a strange way that made us knit together as a team much more quickly than we might have done if we were in an office space for example so we got to know each other much more quickly we had to be candid with each other really early on you know many of the the people on our team were juggling family commitments you know young kids that suddenly needed homeschooling teenagers with mental health challenges aging parents that we suddenly couldn't see in, in nursing homes. So the, the full sort of gamut of private lives, I think, became sort of inextricably linked with just getting through the day. So we, we got to know each other really quickly. You know, the hilarious thing is I have no idea how tall half of my uh, team it's members true. are. I don't <laughs> <laughs> we've ever never seen them from the neck up. Um, so weird things like that. But in terms of managing them, the one thing that I did do quite early on was... Back to that point we were talking about just now around sort of boundaries blurring. We 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 instigated a thing which I think has um, really helped us as a team, which we called the Wonder Walks. So each Tuesday we dial into an audio call as a team, and we leave our bedrooms or wherever we're working from, and we go for an hour walk in our local area. We just share wins of the week, challenges of the week, and an ask of each other. Um, And that we started quite early and come rain or shine, it forced all of us to leave our desks and walk and talk to each other. And there's something obviously very meditative about walking and and having an audio conversation as opposed, opposed to always being, on screen that I think really helped us, but also we captured images, so we were able to share shots as the, the what obviously became a year. You know, we didn't expect that to be the, the case at the beginning, but a year season's of all of changing. Yeah, <laughs> everything changing, the world's changing, and, and the seasons changing, and that became something I think we all look forward to, and we've, we've kept it going actually and as the world slowly unlocks. We're still doing our wonder walks but it's almost become part of the rhythm of the week for us as a team. So that yeah. that was really helpful. I think I think to your question around investors, it was hard to raise during this kind of scenario because obviously the, the sort of shockwaves of, of what happened economically initially meant that there's a I think greater nervousness about where to invest as, as VCs. Yeah. So I was having the conversation with a backdrop of Nervousness, and for sort of angel investors, quite a few angel investors had lost quite a lot of money. You know, that I mean, that was the reality of the early days of the pandemic. Were some some investments didn't come off, and some businesses really struggled. So it felt like a very uncertain time to be having a conversation. I think that coupled with the fact that I was a female founder talking about menopause, you know, did make it hard. And the reality is that you, as an investor, I think you put so much on your confidence and almost like your gut instinct around a founder, trying to deliver your personality and your conviction through a screen, I think is much, much harder than doing it in real life.
0: Right. Well, yeah, you've probably been digging into some of that resilience that you've been mentioning earlier. <laughs> 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 a few challenges. Um, now, obviously, I personally know the story of why you started Empowder, but would you be able to tell our listeners in a bit more detail your personal experience and journey towards founding Empowder?
1: Yes. So, as you again, as you were saying um, in your introduction, I'm really at the point that I'm at as a result of an, a personal experience. So, M Powder was born out of my own perimenopausal journey. I used to be a planner in the advertising industry. So, my job was to listen to people I was a consumer researcher by trade so that meant you know lots of research and engagement with with people from all kinds of of different cultures and demographics to sort of build out brand propositions and business strategies that catered for individual needs and I loved my job you know I've been doing it since I left university at 21 I had absolutely no intention of, of stopping but when I hit the perimenopause, like many women, I was very unaware of the sort of the raft of symptoms that can come with it. And one of the things that I started to struggle with was anxiety. So I went from being, you know, relatively comfortable in my role—I've been doing it for over twenty years at this point—I loved it—to um, being someone who's really, really anxious, and it manifested itself in such extreme ways. That I began to get a real sense of imposter syndrome. My stomach was all over the place. I wasn't sleeping properly. I was developing what I now know to be hormonal acne. But at the time, I just thought that, you know, everything was falling apart. I was having bone aches. So lots of symptoms that you wouldn't necessarily associate with perimenopause. I think many of us still think menopause is just hot flashes and mood swings. And I thought there was something really seriously wrong with me. You know, I got to the point when none of my clothes fitted and I was just exhausted all the time. I went to the doctor um and like again most women i was told that i was too young to be menopausal so this is one of the biggest misconceptions around this transitional stage is that menopause itself is just a date in the diary you know it's just a 12 month period since your last cycle whereas perimenopause usually starts around the age of 43 and it can last four to seven years and it's actually the period of time where your hormones are fluctuating the most so you tend to feel the worst So I was sent away with nothing. It was only really as a result of talking to friends, doing quite a lot of unhealthy wiki Googling um, and seeking sort of um, information through different sources that I was able to work out what was happening to me. And that then was the beginning of a journey towards finding solutions that worked. And and again, there's not enough research into menopause. There aren't enough innovations taking place in this space. And I, I was increasingly frustrated by the lack of options I had as a consumer. And also the depiction of menopause. So if you go into your health food store, I, I often call the menopause aisle the end of life aisle because it's um, it's just the depictions on the pack, you know, of frail women that look like they're really, really ready for a lie down. Um, you know, we're often in cornfields, in comfy shoes, or on bicycles for some reason. Um, and it just didn't reflect me or any of my peer group. And I think, you know, as a generation, women entering those perimenopausal years now we've been influenced up by millennials we're not actually that much older than millennials um, and we expect brands to reflect our mindset you know we've grown up with the wellness industry gaining traction we're looking for holistic honest brands we're looking for natural products we're often trying to eat a more plant-based diet there were so many things that were missing from that menopause category for me that i couldn't find a product that worked and i think the final I guess sort of realization for me was the supplement space as a whole can be you know notoriously full of snake oil, and what I struggled with and I was trying to find solutions for my menopause symptoms was to find a brand that was doing it all and doing it for the three distinct stages of, of menopause. So what you'll often find on in those health food aisles are products that focus on menopause. And that's, you know, an 8 to 10 year time frame. And I, I needed something that understood what my body required at perimenopause. And that just wasn't available either. So it, it was a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of fast tracking six months of my life. And I think as a researcher, instinctively, that's what I did. I went off to find out, you know, where, where is the clinical evidence around certain functional foods? What kind of dosage levels should I expect to put on my plate in order to feel better? You know, what can I be doing in terms of lifestyle practices and sort of health hacks to improve how I'm feeling on a daily basis? Because menopause is so much more than what you're nutritionally eating. It's it's down to how you manage external stress factors and how you ensure a good night's sleep. So all of my research, I guess, as a, as a sort of nerd, going back to, Uh, research documents meant that I kind of emerged feeling better myself and then I wanted to put that insight into practice and so Powder really was the output of six months of me learning stuff and then looking to collaborate with people far cleverer than me so naturopaths and doctors to create this range of products that we now have but also to create this community that we've, we've built up which does look at that life stage from a you know a holistic perspective rather than just from a product range
0: perspective. It sounds like there's so much research that went into that. And it must have been kind of a so interesting, you voicing, you know, like I'm at this age, these brands don't suit me. And then probably getting quite a diluge of feedback from your friends and your wider network, like we're exactly the same. And then having that ticking moment of I think I'm onto something here because I actually am the voice of so many women. And then also it must have been really interesting doing the research kind of scientifically as well and thinking I'm actually finding out so much that. I haven't been told by doctors and there's something slightly wrong there that I'm kind of able to do this really thorough research myself. And yeah, that that sounds really good. Um, So you've obviously been up to so much in the last six months, um, launching a product, fundraising, kind of the list goes on. Can you tell us about how you went producing that first powder? Obviously you've talked about the research and kind of finding out that there's that gap in the market. So what was that next step of producing the powder and then turning into an entrepreneur? Can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think um, I was speaking to a, um, a seasoned entrepreneur um, only last week, actually, and she was saying to me, you know, I was looking at supplements, but it just felt so hard to do something good. So I didn't. And I was like, yes, had someone told me that, I probably wouldn't have started either. Because it is, <laughs> I think, it's, clear. Pretty, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, so. Um, from the desk research what the desk research I guess gave me was a long list of functional foods essentially that had been shown to have potential and and that's the biggest challenge in the menopause space is there's so little money put into this life stage that even finding clinical um, evidence of potential is hard so I kind of knew when I was doing my research that I needed then to lean on expertise and kind of proof in field, effectively, of of products and herbs and um, botanicals. So I spent quite a lot of time talking to naturopaths, herbalists, and also medical doctors with an interest in functional medicine who accepted the role of medicines, which can be incredibly helpful at this life stage. And most of us will have the opportunity to look at HRT. That's the kind of main protocol for medical intervention um, during menopause. But what I wanted to look at was the nutritional potential of ingredients as well. So doctors that were interested in how diet can impact on both symptoms and some of the long-term risks that women have as they transition through menopause. So what HRT is really good at doing is protecting our bodies against things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, loss of bone density. All of these things happen to us as we age. But food can also play a role in um, mitigating those risks further and also addressing some of the symptoms that can be particularly unpleasant. So I got sort of almost like a SWAT team of very smart individuals around me because I just didn't have that um, knowledge or experience. And those individuals also were fascinating in that when you're working with a naturopath or herbalist who's been working with menopausal women for years, They'll be working with ancient remedies that very rarely get the attention they deserve. And a bit like yoga or mindfulness, where, you know, in the last 20 years, we have finally started using scientific methodology to discover what previous generations have known instinctively is that meditation calms our brain, it reduces blood pressure, it helps our fight or flight mode you know but the western world always wants scientific proof of these things and it's similar really with with herbs and botanicals is that you'll look at some of these Chinese medicine practices where they've been using herbs in communities for hundreds and hundreds of years because they work there isn't the clinical uh, trials to support them but these naturopaths and herbalists will be you know building that knowledge base into the work that they do so they were able to look at the, the clinical research data I had on ingredients and then say oh actually there's some herbs over here that just Really, really good for, I don't know, gut sensitivities or really, really good for bone ache. And so we ended up with a long list that kind of incorporated what the science told us and what experience and field told us. The next stage was to find um, a product development team that could help us take these functional foods into a powdered form that was actually palatable. So one of the biggest challenges was the reality is bitter foods are actually really really good for women at this stage in life because when you put something bitter onto your tongue it results in your gastric juices kind of getting ready to receive um, the goodness that comes down from it and if you don't have those gastric juices which you often don't have during menopause because our guts aren't performing as they should, we can't digest in a way that we should. So we knew that we had bitter ingredients that weren't going to taste that nice, particularly to Western palates. And, so, um, and particularly women who have been taught by the diet industry to rely quite heavily on sweetener. So there's no sweeteners in our products either. So the next step, once we had a, a flavour that we felt was palatable enough to be able to test, was to recruit a cohort of women from our Online community to try the product, so it was really important for us not just to rely on what the lab told us and what experience had told us with with um, naturopaths and, and herbalists working with women. We actually wanted people to take our blend for two months in order to see the efficacy of those those ingredients. So we went through a very small production run. Um, so these production companies will have what they call clean rooms, and so we source all of our ingredients from from around the world. They all sent to the central location and blended. And then women took the product for two months. And what they did was they tracked their symptoms against a scale, which is a clinical sort of valid scale called the MenQuol survey, which is used by doctors often to assess menopause symptoms. They tracked their symptoms against that for two months. And then as a result of their feedback, we refined the recipe further. And then we took that product to market. So, I guess the thing of yeah, it's, it's the a thing about empaths, isn't it? It really is, and it's not. That was a deliberate decision. Was you can definitely, I mean, the weird thing about the supplement space is you can take something to market with relatively little um, testing. In fact, you don't need to test anything if it's a food supplement, and that wasn't a comfortable concept for me. Um, and I think one of the truths, sadly, about the menopause space is when we spoke to women in our community, one of the key findings was that women cycle through pretty much anything because they're so unsupported at this life stage they will try anything that's offered to them we really didn't want to be another brand pitching something that we weren't confident was going to make a difference so although it takes us much much longer to get to take a product to market than any of, of the supplement brands that I know we are confident when we go to market that a very diverse diverse cohort of women from all kinds of different backgrounds have taken this product for two months and have seen an an impact. You know, that, that was absolutely critical to me to launch the business. And then what we've also found is that as we continue as a business, so we're obviously commercially selling our product now, each time we do a production run, we review the recipe because with our pouch, each consumer that buys our product gets the opportunity to track their symptoms too. So we now have a massive... Database where women are continuing feeding back on on the impact we're having, you know, and how quickly that impact occurs. What symptoms do we seem to be able to address better than others? And that allows us as a team to continually improve. And again, it means we we sometimes go out of stock. So, for example, this year we had such a sales surge um, that we went out of stock for three months, which no one wants to do as a startup. But we went out of stock because we don't just produce in bulk. We we take every opportunity we can to keep iterating. And that means that small sort of artisanal sized um, production runs, but that delivers really, really good product into female hands. And it also means that we're continually trying to do better. And that each time we do a run, we're trying to, to make sure the results are even better than the last time around. Yeah.
0: Um, you kind of touched there upon getting community feedback and speaking to people and having control groups and how important that is to you and I think what's coming up more and more in conversations at the moment is that power of community and I think Empower is a really good example of something that initially might be seen as a product um, but actually, to produce the product, like you just said, you needed to test it on trial groups. And you do rely really heavily on feedback. And I remember reading a quote of yours, which I really liked, which was said that I think the brands that this world needs today are brands that put back into the communities that champion them. Um, and Mpowder is obviously now a purpose driven community based business. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you engage with consumers and about the powder room and how important community feedback has been for that?
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think, you know, for me, the one of the most shocking realities about becoming a menopausal woman is that you become invisible. <laughs> and so, you know, you you it's like entering a, a sort of a black hole. You're sort of trocking along quite merrily in your early 40s, uh, still feeling in touch with the world, still feeling represented by media. Mm. Um, and then the minute you you use the M word, you seem to sort of disappear. And the reality is, you know, women at this life stage are, incredibly um, empowered in many levels and we have all of that wisdom that we've acquired over you know the first 40 whatever years of our life and yet one in five of us will leave the workforce because we feel unable to do our jobs anymore you know one in three of us will consider leaving the workforce and I think something like 79% of us feel like the media doesn't see us anymore and that the brands that we were buying into don't represent us anymore so for me launching a product into that particular sort of life stage of a female's life I wanted to ensure that voices were heard you know that I wasn't another brand kind of selling into rather than hearing and seeing the community that we were looking to serve so from the very beginning um, women have influenced our approach right down to you know as you were saying earlier not not just um, verifying the product in terms of whether it works or not but feeding back on the imagery you use you know is it annoying when you get down to the bottom of the pouch and you can't get it out because the scoop gets dirty and your hands get stuck in the in the in the opening? You know they they've influenced everything from the messaging on the front of our pack to our serving sizes to the the size of the opening of the pouch to our sustainability credentials. All of those things um, are really important to us, and I think it's really important to the community as well. That's not just lip service. So when we do a trial, we also make sure that those trialers see. The reality of their feedback and it genuinely does make a difference to everything we do um, and I think what's what's fascinating about that is if you can build a brand that is is owned by the community because that's what I feel Empower is I feel like I'm kind of like the guardian of something that's really being shaped by the women looking for solutions and community connection mm-hmm. if you can do that as a brand the sort of the goodwill is is phenomenal but also you're you're much more confident in your direction of travel as an entrepreneur because you're really listening and maybe it's because I've always been a planner and that was always my job was to listen but for me you know everything from the programs we run so we we host monthly workshops in the powder room which are designed really for women to get a good understanding of what other interventions they could consider so we look at everything from hrt to cold water therapy to um, cbd to meditation we, we look at all of these different um, lifestyle changes that can be made um, in order to feel better and also sort of nourish us into the next 50 percent of our life because menopause isn't the end it's actually usually the midway point if we're lucky And women vote on those as well. So we ask the community, you know, what what do you want us to look into next? What does your curious mind want us to explore next? And they determine the programs that we run as well. And then within the powder room, they support each other. It's it's such a warm, sort of encouraging environment where the narrative is a lot more positive. I think the other challenge with menopause is as awareness has grown of it, the natural inclination to sort of shock the world into taking this life stage more seriously has been to share almost like the most traumatic menopause journeys. So often when you open a paper and you read about menopause, it's it, it's a really troubling story. It's someone who's taken years for the doctor to recognise that they're menopause or it's women who've been misprescribed with antidepressants, it's women whose you know, home lives have fallen apart or, or their, their careers have been put on hold. And, and that does happen, but the reality is actually a lot more nuanced and there's a lot more positive threads and stories that, that, that come that are really important to hear as well, because otherwise the danger is that younger women just ignore this life stage because it sounds so horrible, they don't want to know, they don't want to know about it. So within the powder room, it's, it's also an opportunity for people to share life, you know, and the, and the voices are far more diverse and, and, and there's far more hope And there's just a real sense of community and support. So that's what happens there. And I think, you know, for me, as I say, when we look ahead at our roadmap as to what happens next, it will be that community that tells us what they want. You know, do they want um, a tablet form of our powdered supplement? Do they want bars that they can take to work that make the whole sort of ritual of a morning smoothie a lot easier to integrate into their everyday? So I, I, I fully anticipate. the sort of the early relationships we've developed with what we call our makers so everyone that does a trial with us becomes an empowered maker and those makers are almost like a panel of advisors that tell us where we should head
0: oh that's amazing um can we touch upon the investment side of starting a business i know the elevating Farmers community will be really interested in that so you've kind of touched upon it before, but obviously menopause is traditionally not been given a huge amount of attention, despite it being a billion dollar market. Um, femtech startups are becoming more and more prevalent, which is making investors sit up and listen at last. Um, but there is also that renowned challenge of the male dominated industry of investment, meaning funding can be stacked against you due to the lack of investment in female focused businesses. Can you talk us a little bit through your experiences, how you have found fundraising and the investment experience, what's been challenging, et cetera?
1: Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it is a challenge. And I think um, as a female entrepreneur, you kind of know that the odds are stacked against you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously got sort of um, the reality of, of the fact that most of the, the VCs you meet are likely to be male, uh, which is really unfortunate, but remains the case. And I think coupled with that, as you as you mentioned in your question, menopause is a topic, not only is it a social taboo, it's also been a sort of uh, a grey area in terms of femtech and investment generally. So what I found when I had to start looking at, um, investing was I needed to begin by actually explaining what menopause was so you know bearing in mind that you maybe have 20 minutes to grab someone's attention um, in a, a initial call all of these um, investment pictures were happening over zoom I probably had to spend the, at least 50% of the call telling people what menopause was and kind of reframing it because society hasn't taught us about it so women stumbled into this life stage full of misconceptions but so do men because we're not we don't sit in biology classes at the moment and learn about menopause in the same way as we learn about puberty um and so I had to learn how to tell my story in a way that I was comfortable with but it was the easiest way to fast track uh understanding um from from VCs was to really share my own perimenopausal story and to explain to them what the world looks like as a perimenopausal woman because it won't have been an area that they've looked at before and I think you know, the growth of femtech was helpful in the sense that there has been quite a lot of work done in recent years. So there's an awareness building around the potential of focusing in specifically on female health. But I still found that there was a sort of perception that menopause was niche, you know, and bearing in mind that it's the the life stage that every single woman will go through. So unlike fertility and having children, Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, not all women choose to do or not all women are able to do. Every single woman will go through menopause. That's 51% of the population. That's not niche. Um, but I often, I was often presented with that sort of feedback, but it felt like a niche, a niche <laughs> target audience. Um, so that was challenging. But I think once I kind of got my story straight and I was able to tell my story as a sort of um, a perimenopausal woman, and I guess with my background in marketing, Again, the quickest way to explain what the world looked like was to share with them what the brands in the menopause space looked like, as opposed to what beauty and wellness looked like, you know, because it was a very clear, um, sort of gaping void in terms of what was acceptable in terms of comms and mindset and kind of um, just overall tone of voice um, in a world that I was still in. And the minute I started looking at menopause products, it was like I was going back to the 1980s. So... I had to paint a very sort of explicit picture and then put M Powder into that picture um, in terms of what its potential was. And I think, again, the most valuable thing for me in terms of seeking investment was I recognised very early the importance of community for me in terms of building out a product. But it also meant I had a, a sort of database of insight that I could take to VCs, which allowed me to sort of present a picture of a business that, although it was still at startup sort of bootstrap stage, I had a cohort of women around me saying that this is what they were looking for. This is what was missing. You know, this is their experience too. And that really helped VCs, I think, feel more confident in what we were proposing.
0: Yeah. And then you had a really successful seed round and raised £550,000. Did you have a confidence gap in asking for that money? And how do you feel your courage has changed from then and now?
1: Um, I think, It's fair to say most women uh, in terms of sort of entrepreneurship do have a confidence gap in asking for things. If you talk to women in terms of the amount of diligence they do around their forecasting and their business plan, it's often so much more thorough and considered um, than their male peers. And I think there's a sense of responsibility. You know, we treat money in a very different way. And if you look statistically at the likelihood of female founders, particularly at this life stage, um, succeeding we're more likely to succeed with our business ventures and our male peers <clears throat> which is very interesting when you then look at how little investment we get um, <clears throat> but um, in terms of the confidence gap I think for me it was also about learning how the BC market works you know I'm not a serial entrepreneur I haven't done this before I've run businesses but I've never gone out to seek funding mm-hmm. and it took me a while to understand what the Sort of what the contract was, you know, when you're having a conversation with a VC, what are they looking to understand? And interestingly, I think probably my biggest learning was the stuff that I was worrying about, like the business plan and the detail behind that. And where was I going to be in five years time? And what was my cash flow, my run rate going to be really wasn't as important to those VCs as gut instinct like how do they feel about me how passionate did they feel I was about this business's potential how likely was I to inspire a team of people around me that were going to help me achieve my objectives you know could I bring on the best in terms of talent to work alongside me those are the things actually that they were really looking to evaluate and I was I was down in the weeds looking at you know how many desks I needed so I think that was a real a real learning for me and I suppose looking back on it now in terms of confidence I think the other thing I I stuck to my guns on, I'm really proud that I did, was I wanted women around the table with me. I wanted my cat table to be full of female names. And that did mean that I, I I had to wait longer because female investors, I think it's quite fair to say as well, can be a little bit more risk-adverse too. So when you are at that very early stage as a business, they may not be as comfortable coming on board as some of their male peers. And so it meant that I had to sort of stagger my raise I did what's called a rolling raise and I kind of got in my lead investor and then I kept persisting to find women I felt were strategically important to me in terms of their expertise but also just to send out a signal that it was going to be women that were going to reshape this space you know it should be females determining what the menopause sector looks like and it should be females I think powering those businesses so I'm really glad I did that but it didn't it meant it took longer.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So, you have 20% of your investors are female, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. Right. I'm going to break up the conversation with some quick fire questions so the audience can learn a little bit more about you. Um, so, can you tell us what technology you have found most useful during the pandemic?
1: I think two things actually. I've always advocated for Meditation as a tool um, in this life stage, but I have genuinely made Headspace my friend. So, from an app perspective, Headspace I I use daily, maybe twice a day, so morning and night, to um, just set my mindset at the beginning of the day and help me unwind at the end of it. And then the other piece of tech that I found really helpful is because the world has become so online and so many of my meetings were um, via Zoom. The app Otto, which allows you to transcribe um, video calls, uh, has been invaluable. So, all of the workshops we do, all of the uh, meetings we do, finding that as a way of shoving my meetings into that and getting a magic transcript um, a few minutes later has been a fantastic find.
0: Well, they're both great ones. If you could go to the pub with any entrepreneur, who would it be? Oh, dead or alive
1: that's a really good question um it would probably be someone quite notorious i probably would want to go to the pub with with elon musk um you know just to find out h- how his brain works and, and where his brain is heading What's Going on I, with
0: bitcoin at
1: the moment <laughs> exactly. i find him fascinating on a number of levels also because he can be so provocative which is not necessarily a strategy that you would recommend um in terms of, of you know keeping a steady ship and I'm just fascinated by his desire to provoke and prod. Yeah, it wouldn't be a boring drink, would it? <laughs> it really
0: wouldn't. It <laughs> doesn't have to be technology. I know I've touched on that. So what's a startup that you're loving at the moment and why?
1: There's, there's a number. I mean, I, I look a lot at um, products coming to market where there's a strong sustainability um, <laughs> focus. I like the guys at Wild. Who've created a, um, a uh, refillable, yeah, <laughs> a refillable deodorant, and I, I just love their aesthetic and the way that they've um, built out a story, and and they're disrupting a market that's so established and so saturated um, with a new with a new way of doing things. So they'd be ones that I, yeah, I would continue to watch.
0: Yeah. And fill in the blank. To be a founder, you must be brilliant. Thank you. So. We talked in the first half of the conversation about investment and I feel like it would be good to touch upon the second challenge that I feel that you've come up against which is obviously menopause still being really stigmatised and a taboo subject. How hard was it to start that really long overdue conversation in a space that still has that stigma attached to it? What are the solutions to eradicate it and have you seen improvements in the two and a bit years that you've been working on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll take the last part of that question first, because I think I have seen a huge shift in terms of the conversations that are happening in the UK. And we as a brand sell only in the UK currently, but we have a very global community because the UK is so ahead of most other markets. So when I talk to peers um, in the US, for example, they look to the UK in terms of the grassroots activism that really has led to... You know, legislative change. So last year we saw, as a result of the Make Menopause Matter campaign, secondary schools will now teach children about menopause in the same way as they teach them about fertility and puberty. So the next generation of, of women coming out of school, not only will they know yeah. what happens to their body in menopause, but their male peers will know about it too, because it is a societal issue uh, that needs addressing so things have changed dramatically i think since since powder was first conceptualized but in terms of um addressing the the taboo i think it does have to be led by the women themselves so this isn't a sort of an hr tick box and what we often find ourselves having to gently push back um, against is the fact that uh, menopause has become something that quite rightly is being considered under the mental health umbrella within the workplace and also in terms of equality and diversity so back to my stat earlier of one in five women leaving the workplace if you're a company looking to try and get more gender balance within the boardroom most women hit menopause just as they're getting up that career ladder you know they struggled potentially through all kinds of um, discrimination to kind of get there. They might have also had to have the maternity ceiling broken. They might have taken time away from work to sort of raise children and come back. And then just as they're getting <laughs> to knock on the boardroom door, they hit the menopause wall.
0: Gotcha.
1: So it, it, it has become, I think, an equality and diversity issue. But it, if you're not careful, it also then becomes an HR tick box where companies are able to say they're dealing with menopause because they've got a spreadsheet on the kind of policies that they should be able to offer. And I think it's a much broader Discussion than that, and in order to break down the taboo in a way that women feel comfortable having those discussions in the workplace or or with their peers or with their partners, you have to allow women to lead that dialogue. So, our approach within M has really been to encourage women to share their stories. And interestingly, it seems to be much more comfortable for us to do that with community members that we feel an affinity with than it is with our immediate friends. So, we'll find that women will tell people in the powder room the things that they're struggling with they might not sit down with a glass of wine with one of their close friends and have that conversation because menopause isn't visible so unlike pregnancy where you can kind of see that someone's pregnant um, and you can kind of talk to each other and, and, and feel relatively confident that you're both you're both at a similar stage with menopause you have no idea unless your friend tells you that they are also going through it so the almost the anonymity but also the intimacy that comes with these online communities I think is quite a useful way of beginning that taboo breaking because the more stories we can shine a spotlight on the more women feel that their individual experience of menopause is represented so you have to have that very open discussion happening where people from all kinds of different backgrounds can see themselves and I think that really is going to be the way that that the menopause taboo is is addressed and Interestingly, women that are much more confident with the difference and the brilliance of the female form are coming up in that generation behind. So the sort of destigmatization of periods and you know the menstrual cycle and the reality of childbirth, you know, if we think about how much that has changed in recent years, to be, you know, it used to be that you'd get, get to having um your labor as a, as a woman in, in in who was pregnant and, and no one had told you the reality that happens afterwards you know no one had no one had warned you what happens after you have your baby and I think if you look to the feeds and the brands now that exist within the fertility sphere and also the menstrual sphere they're much more honest and so there's a generation of women coming to menopause who want that honesty too so I think change is happening um but it has to be led by women it has to be it has to be those voices that actually you know Equally, you know, to my point around female investors and female founders shaping the menopause space, it's the voices of the women that we serve that will determine the pace of change and that destigmatization to take place.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I read that, yeah, nine out of 10 women have said that menopause is having a negative impact on their working life, which is extraordinarily high. And then you've also touched upon how that leads to attrition in the workplace as well. And yeah, I guess so many people just won't be linking those things together might, may feel like such a personal thing that wouldn't be brought into the workplace or be causing issues um, alongside, you know, other things. So that that is really interesting and about how women really do need to make more noise um, kind of to demand solutions that are appropriate and fit for purpose today. I wanted to touch upon the new programme because Davina McCall has aired Sex, Myths and the Menopause on Channel 4. Um, She spoke really frankly about her own experience of menopause, dispelled myths um, and looked to eradicate stigma as well. And the show was met with an outpour of people sharing their own views and experiences, which does reiterate what you've been saying about that shared experience amongst women. Have you seen the show? What did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. Um, So, yeah, it's a long overdue. I mean, to be
1: fair, I often feel the need to sort of say that Mariella Fostrop did a similar programme a few years ago. And again, you know, to your question about have I seen the market for menopause change? I think the the reception of Dabina McCall's documentary compared to Mariella Fostrop's, which was about three or four years earlier, kind of says all that needs so to be said conversation really is moving on. yeah yeah exactly because you know that one really I think it took Mario Frostrop something like three years to, to to um convince her editors that there'd be any interest in a documentary mm. about menopause and then the Davina McCall one has had like you say such a such a response both in terms of, of um individual women sharing their stories but also celebrities coming forward media titles you know covering um the story and ensuring that it isn't just a yeah, it's not just yesterday's news. There's been a really concerted effort, I think, within the media titles to continue the conversation beyond that that one airing of the show itself, and I think that's really encouraging as well. And I think you know Davina's focus really was on HRT. So there's a huge um, misconception, which was um, essentially the result of miscommunication of research about 20 years ago. That means that many women nervous of HRT, and that is really the scandal that she was looking to lift the lid on and, and re-educate women on, but also lobby for change in terms of doctors getting the training that they need to adequately assess women's needs within surgery.
0: Mm. Oh No, that's good. And it's nice that you're kind of seeing that response echoed within your communities as well, as it really does show that conversation is being kickstarted. Um, and like you said, it's just great that shows like that are getting airtime now as yeah. well from media companies. Um, so kind of going back to how you grew a business through the pandemic, which must have been very overwhelming, but also exciting. And then you must needed to rely on a lot of support and guidance. At Elevating Founders, you know, we're really based on kind of communities and support teams and accelerators. And I just wanted to ask you, how important do you think accelerators or mentoring schemes and programs are in both building your network um, and launching a business? Because I know founders factory helped with your funding round and you've mentioned david and david and rachel as mentors before i believe so it'd be good if you can give some color on mentorship and what you find most helpful
1: yeah no i think it's incredibly valuable um, to have mentors um both in terms of your sort of personal progression and growth um, as a as a founder but also in terms of your business strategy and founders factory was invaluable for me for both of those reasons i was quite strategic in the accelerator I chose I wanted to have access to strategic partners that could help us from the very beginning think like a scaled business rather than a startup because I knew that we would do the test and learn I've described to you in terms of iterating a lot in the early days with our product development and consumer feedback because of the lack of research into menopause I needed to to do that iteration process but I didn't want to then get to the end of that and not be able to scale you know to find myself as a kitchen table business unable to take the learnings i had from those iterations to a scaled offering so working with a strategic partner like record bankiza um, allowed me to do that so that was really valuable that the founders factory doesn't just sort of provide you the acceleration support in terms of shaping your business they, they plug in that big corporate partner that has the relevance in terms of the sector that you're operating in and the ability to help you with that sort of scalability proposition. So that was really, really helpful for me. And I think the other thing is that being an entrepreneur can be really lonely. Um, you know, you often feel that you're having to always present this incredibly optimistic view. You know, you're pitching yourself constantly to VCs. You're having to um, sell. your offering to consumers. You're having to bring on board employees that are uh, understandably want you to feel confident and motivated at all times at any time of the day Um, and sometimes it can get quite exhausting so having um, mentors that have been through um, an innovation program have launched their own business potentially is is really really valuable so it just felt like there was People who got it, you know, there were people at the founder's factory who knew how tiring it was to have done 14 investment calls that week and not had a call back, or you know, when your production line crumbles because of Brexit and you're sort of you've got your head in your hand and you you realize that other people are having the same challenges as you, and that really really helped me. It felt it meant I was able to sort of maintain my energy levels where I needed to, but I could also let the let my um, smiley face, um, you know every now and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. my aching muscles my, yeah. my aching cheeks um and just and just be honest you know on the days where you feel like it's really hard and maybe it's too hard to continue because we all have days like that so I think yeah that mentorship has been really really helpful to me
0: what's next for Powder in terms of innovation and new digital offerings can you tell us a little bit about the successful trial and launch of your next product mpowder menu boost Yes.
1: So, um, yeah, it's been a really exciting one, actually, because PeriBoost, which is the product we launched at the beginning of lockdown. So we we had a two month trial May to sort of August time. I think um, we all wrapped up for the first product and launched in September last year. That was for the perimenopause community. And what was interesting about that was it's probably the least recognized stage of menopause and and the hardest to get through. And that meant that we were doing an education job as a launch brand. So we were we were not only offering our product out, we were struggling to explain to women that they were men they were perimenopausal because they were very unlikely to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a hard educational piece to do and menoboost is really different most women know when they've had their menopause because as i was describing earlier it's a sort of anniversary it's a 12 month anniversary since you last had a period so most women know they don't always know to the exact dates not everyone tracks how often they have a period but they do kind of know when they've reached their menopause or had their menopause and it's also a much more established space so you're going into a sector where women are likely to be taking other supplements that uh, are offered for menopause symptoms. And what we found with our menopause community was although they're only a few years older often than our perimenopause community, their mindset was really different. And it was also really interesting doing it at this point rather than the beginning of lockdown, where there's an optimism that we'd soon be out of it and there's almost an energy to getting through the next few months together. Um, what we found doing the menoboose trial is it was a really tough time for women you know back to my point earlier that the pandemic I think has had a disproportionate impact on how females have coped and what we saw during the trial this time around so it began in I think March time was that it was just at the point where the UK media was beginning to report on the slow unlock and the dates that would um, be coming and the sort of the measures that we'd have to meet and the and the vaccines were being rolled out and although you would have thought that would have brought a sense of hope. I think for women that had been holding it together for the last 12 months and had readjusted pretty much every element of their life in order to cater for everyone else, there was a real sense of fatigue. And so we had a group of women that were really struggling with menopause symptoms, but also just really struggling with any sense of joy and optimism. Um, And so supporting them through the two months was, was a fascinating journey because they definitely needed a lot more sort of hands-on support and, but what was really heartwarming was that their, the sort of their, the, their, the, the way that they valued that community that grew over two months was just phenomenal. You know, if you ever needed a sort of conviction that what you were doing was a good thing, uh, they really delivered that in spades. Because, you know, what we also realised was that because we've all become so socially distanced in every sense of the word from each other over the last year and a bit, women who were struggling were struggling very much alone. And so pulling a group of 50 women together to go through two months of trial where every week we were discussing other interventions, we were trying cold water therapy together or we were trying meditation together. It really, really built some very strong friendships. And the results of the trial were amazing. So the product performed incredibly well. So 89% of women saw their symptoms improve within those first two months. But just the sense of friendships, I think, are going to continue forever. You know, we connect to each other. They're so much more vocally engaged as well in the powder room. Our perimenopausal women, I think, they're just at a different mindset stage where the menopausal women have only been sort of working together and, and sort of becoming friends you know over the last couple of months but they're the most vocal within the powder room now is it's it's almost like we provided them an environment they
0: they really really needed at a moment in time when they really needed it so that's been oh, that's fantastic exciting yeah. that you have created that safe space and then people are finding like-minded people and clustering together that just yeah must be really rewarding to watch definitely and um, before I let you go do you have any final words of advice for our young startup community
1: um, I think the the biggest bit, bit of advice I'd give, and it was something that I took on board myself when I was considering whether mpowder was something I should pursue or whether I should just go back to my day job uh, when I felt better, um, was, you know, are you the only person who can take this idea to market? Mm. And I felt that um, with Powder, I definitely wasn't the only person, but because of my planning background and my kind of like instinctive desire to build community and and take a whole load of voices with me because that's all I've ever done in my job I felt that I had a unique perspective on a space that maybe wouldn't be an immediate um, solution or, or, or offering that someone else would come to that space with so I felt not uniquely placed but I felt like my career up until this point had almost crafted an approach that was instinctive to me that might not be instinctive to others so I think if I was a Early stage entrepreneurs sort of considering whether to do something. Just think about why it should be you. Why it should be you to pursue it? Because I think that is often what gives brands that succeed that that point of difference.
0: That, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, what do your skills and background and everything that makes you unique? What does that lend itself? To? Yes, I think that's a really great yeah. way to look at it. Um, Rebecca, it's been amazing to chat to you today. And I know that the Elevating Founders community are going to love the conversation around community and kind of investment and all of those taboo subjects as well. Um, And you've definitely inspired people to tackle certain stigmatised topics and demand appropriate solutions as well. Can you tell the audience where they can find you online if they want to follow your journey? Yes. So we are on Instagram at Empowder Store.
1: And the shop effectively in the kind of the journal and a lot of our story can be found at www.empowder.store.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I really look forward to seeing Empowder grow and what you do next.
1: Lovely. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank
0: you. That's it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders@informa.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you next time.